14. John 14. What we'll be doing over the next several weeks is working through prophetic passages, prophetic, a prophetic look at those things that are, that are yet to come. Um, the Bible has a lot of prophetic things uh, throughout the Scripture. Many of those things have been fulfilled. For example, there are many things uh, that God has spoken of prior to Jesus Christ ever being conceived and born and lived and died. Many things that were spoken of in the Old Testament about Christ's life that he fully fulfilled. Um, he fulfilled dozens and dozens of prophecies in the Old Testament. One of the reasons why we can know that the Bible is the book that God has given the world. Not the Koran, uh, not the Book of Mormon, uh, not the um, traditions of the Catholic Church, um, not the roomfuls of, of, of books of the Jehovah Witnesses, uh, not the mantras of the Buddhists, etc., etc., etc. One of the reasons we know that the Bible is God's Word is because God is the only one who can say things that are going to happen in the future and it actually come to pass. Unequivocally. And he's done that over and over and over again. Um, one of the great things that God has given us in the Scripture is about Israel. The very fact that Israel exists as a people is a testament to God's faithfulness and the fact that the God of the Bible is the true God. Now God has also spoken of those things that are yet to come. God has laid out history right up into eternity. Um, he's laid out history right up into eternity. And so, when we look at the timeline of, of events that are yet to come, the next event on God's timeline of events is what we call the rapture. The rapture. Um, there's nothing that needs to be done in order for the rapture to take place, in, in order for the Lord Jesus Christ to receive us and all who died in Him from the beginning of time to be raised up with Him and brought up to be with him. And uh, there's nothing, um, nothing that needs to take place. There may be some things that might take place. There's debates about, for example, the, the God who made our war. When is that going to happen? Before or after? The middle? Uh, where is it going to happen? Uh, the Lord's not extremely clear on that, but I do know this. The Lord Jesus Christ can come at any time. He could receive us up to himself today. And he would not have failed to keep his word. And so uh, I'm looking up and excited for that day. I'm excited for the day when Jesus comes and receives us into himself. It's going to be the best day. The best day. Um, as we move forward in the history, um, after the rapture at some point, we don't know how much time is in between the resurrection of the saints, which is another term for the rapture, and the beginning of the tribulation period. There's going to be seven years of tribulation upon the earth. Terrible time. We'll look at that. Um, we'll look at the Antichrist that is spoken of in Daniel and in uh, the book of Revelation. We'll look at this, this man. We are not looking for the Antichrist. We are looking for Christ, right? right. Um, we, we who are 
talk about the return of Christ. The rapture is not the second coming of Christ. He doesn't set foot upon the earth at the rapture. We'll see that in a moment. He receives us in himself. But there is going to come a time when Jesus is going to set foot upon this earth. It's called the great and terrible day of the Lord. On that one day, um, God is going to bring to, uh, uh, to an end many things. And he's going to usher in the thousand-year reign of Christ in the millennium. And uh, so he's going to set foot upon the Mount of Olives. That mountain is going to split in two. Uh, there's going to be a 200-mile-wide area, a uh, long area, in which all the nations of the earth are going to be gathered. In fact, I believe the Bible teaches that there's going to be a type of reverse rapture where the unsaved are going to be gathered together in this place from around the world. And the Lord Jesus Christ is going to deal with them on that day. Uh, and they are going to be cut down like the grass. They're going to be, they're going to be put into, uh, the, 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 the imagery is that of a lime press. And uh, in fact, the Bible teaches that the blood of those unsaved people is going to rise as high as the bridle of a horse. Um, and it's going to be, it certainly is going to be a terrible day. Those who are saved, they won't be there. They, they're not going to be in that, what we call the battle of Armageddon. And uh, once the Lord has, has uh, accomplished this, he is going to sit upon the throne and he's going to usher in a thousand year reign. And then the Lord gives very little detail, but then there's going to be um, another war at the end of this thousand-year reign. People, there will still be people who are born and don't get saved uh, during that time. And uh, they will, they'll have to deal with the Lord's, uh, before the thousand-year reign, the Lord is going to uh, cast the devil and lock him up in, the, in this pit. Um, he's going to let him loose for just a season. And uh, then God is going to usher an eternity with the new Jerusalem and the new earth. Uh, and this will last to go on forever and ever and ever. And, uh, and uh, the Lord has said some wonderful things about that as well. And so we'll look at that over the next several weeks. But today, um, we're on lesson one in your booklets if you've got one. And uh, we are looking at the rapture of the church. The rapture of the church. We're going to start there in John 14, so if you want to take your Bibles and turn there, John chapter 14. The rapture is when God is going to call all the saints, both living and dead, up to heaven to meet him. The dead in Christ shall rise first, and then we which are alive and remain shall be called up together with them in the clouds. And so will ever be with the Lord. Uh, but I want you to notice this promise as we look in, as we look through these passages. Here's what I want you to be able to answer. God gives us a, the, the the doctrine of the rapture for a reason. Um, it's not just so that we have information, but so that we might be moved. Um, God is looking for us to take the truth of the rapture and apply it to our lives. All right. What should this understanding that the Lord can come and receive us from himself at any time do to us as a people? And so as we, we read through these passages, ask yourself the question, what does this mean for me right now? The rapture's coming. The return of Christ is imminent. What is the application for me? All right? And so we're going to start there in John 14, 
I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. Now where is he going? He's going to heaven. He's going to be with his father. And so start in verse 3, and let's see the principle and the reality of the rapture. And if I go and prepare a place for you, if I go, and so Jesus is going to go, and he did go. Um, we see this in Acts chapter 1, we'll look at that passage in a moment, but in Acts chapter 1, the word Jesus ascends into heaven. The angel calls out and tells the disciples, as you see him go, he's going to come back in the same way. Um, but Jesus is in heaven. He's seated on the right hand of the throne of God. But what does he promise in this verse? He's going to come again. I will come again. Right? I will come again. And what is he going to do? He's going to receive us to himself. Now this is very important. Very important that we, we get the, the what God is trying to impress upon our mind. He wants us to actually see what's going to happen in, in our, our mind, in our imagination. And so Jesus ascended to heaven. He said, I'm going to come again. Right? Now where is Jesus now? If he says I'm going to come again, where does that mean he has to go? He has to come down towards earth. But he doesn't stop there, does he? He says, I'm going to, I'm going to come again, and then what's he going to do? <coughs> Receive you unto myself. So I want you to think about this. If we're talking about the second coming of Christ and his thousand-year reign, and this is what Jesus is talking about, doesn't make any sense, right? Right. Because on that day, the Lord is going to come down to earth, he's going to touch down, and he is going to stay. He's going to enter into the temple in Jerusalem, and he's going to set up the thousand-year reign. But he doesn't say that, does he? He says, I'm going to come again and receive you unto myself. Now again, where is Jesus? Now, in heaven. He says, I will come again, and receive you unto myself. Now, if, if this is talking about the second coming, him coming to earth, we would be receiving him to us. Right? we receive him to us, and he would come and be upon the earth, and we would be here with him. But that's not what he says. He says, I'm going to receive you to me. Which means what? He's going to take us to be with him now this certainly seems fantastic, doesn't it? Uh, this seems to be miraculous, certainly, but also it seems to be mythical that this is what is going to happen. By the way, the God who made all things in six days can certainly do exactly what he said here. The same God who rose from the dead and rose himself from the dead is certainly the same God who can do this. And I believe that he will. I believe that he will. And so he says, And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself. 
And so God is doing something, has been doing something, and, and has done something for us as well. He's made heaven for us. Right? Because what's he doing there? He's preparing a place for us. Right? We won't be strangers and pilgrims in heaven. That's where we will be born. Amen? Now, what is the Lord's application here? Remember, he's saying this right before he's going to the cross. He's saying to his disciples who have been following him for up to three years, or maybe some even a little longer than three years. They have been the way they eat. He fed them, at least on two occasions, miraculously. Um, he calmed the storm. Um, he, he healed uh, people in, in their midst, and he gave them something to do. And now he says, I'm going to go down the cross for your sins. And so, what should the reality of the rapture, the reality of the resurrection of the saints, do for those who are saved, according to this passage? What should it do for us? Give us hope. Should give us hope. Let not your heart be troubled. Let not your heart be troubled. Right? That's exactly what the reality of the soon coming of Christ to receive us unto himself is. It should give us comfort. Right? We should not have... When our hearts become troubled, what is one thing that we can remember? We have He's coming again. Now, every generation of Christians have been saying this since this was written. Every generation. And yet, Christ has not yet come. And yet, what has every generation found because of things like this, because of what Jesus has said? Even though he didn't come and give them that in, in their generation, what did they find even though he didn't come? Comfort. They were able to live through life without having troubled hearts. When their heart began to be troubled because of, of persecution, um, I didn't mean to say this for about three weeks, but in our uh, Wednesday night when we give out our Bible studies, I've been uh, putting in uh, excerpts from Fox's Book of Martyrs. It's a good book. I think every Christian should have a copy of Fox's Book of Martyrs. If you don't have one, I encourage you to get one. Fox is F-O-X-E apostrophe S. Um, but persecution began in the, in the first generation of Christians, and it has continued under this one. What has every generation of persecuted Christians found when they understood what Jesus was saying? Let not your heart, let not your hearts be troubled. Let not your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, you believe also in me. And so, um, whenever you see God speak about this great day for us, it's going to be the best day. When those who trusted that Jesus died on the cross for their sins are brought into that most glorious presence of Christ, into heaven. When we see Him face to face, um, the, 
fact that this day is coming has brought great comfort to God's people. It's calmed troubled hearts. How many of you have found yourself troubled in the past, oh, two years? <laughs> you know one thing that God has given us? Listen, we can look at God's character and say, that can bring comfort. Amen? Um, we can look at history and see God's faithfulness throughout history. And we can find comfort in that. Uh, but what does Jesus give us here that we might have hearts that are not troubled? The fact, reality, that he's coming again to receive us in himself. Right? When the worst days come, we can remember Jesus is coming for us. He is. <laughs> um, turn over to Acts chapter 1. Just a few pages over. Acts chapter 1. <clears throat> Let's start there in verse 9. Acts chapter 1, verse 9. Jesus had just finished speaking the very last things that he would ever speak uh, while he was uh, here with his disciples. He was about to ascend to heaven. And so the scripture says in verse 9, And when he had spoken these things, while they beheld, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly towards heaven as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, which also said, Ye men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus, which is taken up from you into heaven, shall so come in like manner as you have seen him go into heaven. And so, the Lord Jesus ascends into heaven. What an amazing thing it must have been to see Jesus go into heaven. What did it look like? I don't know. Uh, people have tried to depict it in, in film, but I don't know what it was like. It must have been something incredible. And, uh, and so, what did the disciples do as they watched Jesus ascend into heaven? They just kept what? They just kept gazing. And uh, I don't know how long it was. Uh, maybe it was just a few seconds. Maybe it was, was minutes. Uh, maybe it was an hour. I, I don't know how long it was. The, the scripture doesn't say. It just says that while they're gazing, who came? These angels, right? These two beings in white apparel. And I, I, I have no doubt. You have any doubt that they're angels? <laughs> I have no doubt that they're angels. Uh, these are supernatural beings. And they had a message for them. What was the message for the disciples? Why stand ye gazing up into heaven? Why stand ye gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus, which is taken up from you into heaven, shall so come in like manner as you have seen him. Go in there. So just as Jesus went up, he's going to come 
death. Right? Now, I believe unequivocally that these angels are talking about that day when Jesus is going to come and receive us into himself. Um, the question comes about the trumpets and, and uh, we hear the trumpet sound and we'll talk about that in, in uh, another passage. Uh, but I think all these things work together. And, uh, and I don't think, I, I, I don't believe that unsaved people will see Christ come, but I think we'll have the opportunity to see him come. And then he's going to receive us unto himself. But uh, what, is the, what is the application, what was the application, what, was the, what were the angels trying to get across to these disciples um, as they were gazing up into heaven? What, was, what were they trying to get across? What were they trying to get the disciples to? Why were they there? What do you think? Who said that? that they, they wanted to go and get witness, right? They, the, the angels didn't want them to stay gazing up into heaven. Now, can we look forward to the Lord Jesus Christ returning and receiving us into himself without always be gazing in heaven, literally gazing? Um, wondering when he's going to come. If we as people, we're not angels, and we're not God, if we are looking into heaven, really, physically, looking into heaven, and that's all we're doing, can we do anything else? Uh, Rich? No, we'd be ignoring what Jesus just told them to do. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, verse 8, But ye shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And ye shall be witnesses unto both Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and the uttermost part of the earth. And he, he in another spot told them to go into Jerusalem and to wait. And they did that. But they couldn't have done that if they continued gazing into heaven. Um, by the way, um, what does uh, what does Hebrews 12, 2 say? What's the beginning of that verse? Anybody remember? Looking unto Jesus. The author and finisher of faith. So, let me ask you this, Christian. Can we look unto Jesus without gazing into heaven? Now, there's, there's nothing wrong with having some time and spending it gazing into heaven. Um, one of the great enjoyments of my life is during the daytime, by the way, don't look into the sun, but looking out into the clouds and, and uh, maybe talking with my kids as the... Uh, the Serious clouds are out there and saying, what does that one look like? And, and, and that's enjoyable. And I love going out tonight, like David did, looking out at the stars and the amazing creation of God. It's a wonderful thing. I encourage you, uh, when, for example, they, they have different, there's different meteor showers throughout the year. And uh, we've, we've gone a couple places. Uh, we're going to Ashley, over into... Uh, uh, what's that field? Randall Field. And uh, sit out there. We've done that before. Or go over to the beach at night and look at the stars and look for these meteors, which is an amazing thing. It really is uh, a phenomenal, uh, exciting thing to do. Um, but God has not called us to live staring at the sky. Yeah. He, he told these disciples, you'll be my witnesses. You'll be the ones who voice what seen to the world. And they did do that, but they had to stop staring at the sky, right? 
And so for us, it means the same thing. People misinterpret the idea of the rapture, meaning that I should, I should stop living like the Lord. And, uh, and I think maybe well-meaning Christians, maybe unsafe, they may not even say it, just deluded. Um, but they, they stop life. And they, they, do, they do things that, that are completely unbiblical. Uh, just a few years ago, um, a man had convinced thousands of people that the rapture was, was going to happen on a particular day. And they sold their houses. And they bought billboards. And uh, one thing that I am sure of is that there's nobody, nobody who knows when Jesus is coming but the Father. So anybody who's ever going to tell you today when Jesus is going to come, you can understand this. They are liars. They're liars. Whether genuine or not, they're liars. And uh, so remember that. Remember that. Um, but that being said, we have a work to do. And that's to be witnesses. Turn over to 1 Corinthians 15, similar Idea. First Corinthians 15 is just an incredible passage of scripture. It gives us a little bit more of an understanding of what's going to happen in the rapture. And so first Corinthians 15, and let's start there in verse 15. This will be our last one. We'll, we'll, uh, we'll continue this next week. Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, neither does corruption inherit incorruption. Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal put on immortality. So when this corruptible shall have put on incorruption, and this mortal shall have put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin. And the strength of sin is the law. And the thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the word of the Lord, for as much as you know that your labor is not in vain. And so here the Lord, here God is giving us some more information about the rapture. First, let's understand about uh, when he says, Immortal putting on immortality and corruption putting on incorruption. He's talking about bodies. How many of you have a body? How many of you have say, you know what, this is a corrupt body? I know it. My, my body is corrupt. It's corrupt with sin and it's corrupt with death. Right? My body sins and my body is dying. No doubt about it. Um, 
consequences. You know, no matter whether you, you know, hear something that our current world needs to learn. A person can live out the most healthy lifestyle, eating perfectly what they should. And what's still going to happen to their body? It's still going to get old, right? It's still going to get old. And, and you can do all the plastic surgery and and, uh, and use every means possible to keep your, your body looking as, as uh, young as you possibly can. And here's the truth. And that body is just going to keep getting older and older and older. Mm -hmm. And then eventually it's going to what? Stop. It's going to die. No doubt about it. And so here's Paul's point, and here's God's point. Can this body be the body that goes to heaven? It cannot. Right? By the way, I'm glad about that. <laughs> um, what are our bodies going to look like in heaven? I don't know, but not like this. Right? And so what is God going to do on, at the rapture? He's going to give us new bodies. What's going to be the difference? Well, um, he says, for example, the dead are going to be raised incorruptible. And so those who have died are going to get new bodies. And one thing that is going to be true about those bodies is they will not get corrupted. They're not going to get worse and worse. Science has shown that these bodies have, within its very coding, get corrupted. Whatever, however God builds our body, whether it's by DNA or some other means, there will be no corrupted files in our, in our new bodies. That makes sense? Incorruptible. And so in verse 52, the dead shall be raised incorruptible. For this corruptible must put on incorruption. And so a corruptible body is going to become an incorruptible body. Mortal, meaning that which will die, must put on immortality, meaning that which will never die. And so we will receive bodies that are incorruptible and immortal, meaning that they are not going to grow worse and worse, and they're never going to die. Um, there's been philosophical stories that have been written about people who live forever, but their bodies still grow older and older. You ever read those type of bodies, uh, stories? Um, people who've drunk from the, the well of life. But even though they're going to live forever, their bodies still get worse and worse. And how many of you ever heard someone say, you know, I don't want to live forever because, because my body gets worse and worse. I, I don't want to live to be 120 because um, I, it's, my body's going to be wrecked at that point. And I've heard people say that. And there's truth to that. Um, but when we, on this day, we're going to receive new bodies. We're going to be brought together, the dead in Christ. We who are still alive, we're going to be gathered together with Christ. And uh, he, will, he will have victory over sin and death. Now, verse 58 has that application for us. What is the application for us today? According to verse 58. Always abounding in work of the Lord. You know, one of the things
things that keeps us from doing the things that God wants us to do is a preservation of these tired bodies. Mm-hmm. How many ever said, oh, I do it, but I'm so tired? I've said that. <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. A million times. And yet, what does God want to remind us of, of the rapture, with the rapture? These bodies that are corruptible and get tired, they're out of here, right? So even if your body gets a little bit more tired, don't worry, John. I'm going to give you a new one. Right? And so when we get run down, what does the rapture, what encouragement does the rapture get us? To keep going, right? Now listen. Number one, God is very clear that these bodies need rest. Right? And so what has he given us as a as a, a means of rest? Sleep. Well, he's given us sleep. He ever sleep every day. He's also given us the Lord's day. A day of rest for the Sabbath. Men not are not made to continue without rest. One of the one of the great and terrible things that communist nations have uh done to people. For example, in the USSR, in the, in the early part of their terrible reign, they went from a seven-day work week, where on the seventh day you rested, to a five-day work week, where guess what? You never rested. In China, there, there are businesses that are proposing that there be a mandatory, listen to this, 100-hour work week. That's crazy. That, that's 12 hours a day, 7 days a week, no break. No break. God has not made us to do that. Right? He's saying, it's, there's times to rest. Another time, Jesus said to his disciples, let's go into the wilderness and rest. Now, here's the interesting thing about that. Once they got there, a whole bunch of people followed them, and they had to feed them. But, uh, but the Lord does give us the principle of rest. There's nothing wrong with taking a day off from work uh, or having a vacation. I'm not saying that. But what so many Christians do is they get, they get weary, and they stop doing what the Lord would have them to do the rest of their lives. Now, are they going to miss out on heaven because of that? No. Are they going to miss out on the rapture because of that? No. But they will miss out on many things. And so, yes, find times to rest, but then continue in the work that God has for you to do. Amen? Right. These bodies, no matter what, they're not going to last forever. And we're going to get a new one. Amen? So we'll continue on looking at this, um, this uh, the, the rapture of the church next week. And uh, may God help us. May God help us. God's word is wonderful and encourages us and helps us. And uh, I'd love to say, I've never thought, boy, it'd be nice just to quit. <laughs> I have. Um, but I'm, I'm 
pray that you take these, these truths, they are true, they're your word, and, uh, and, and impress upon us what you want to impress upon us. So help us. 